Welcome to She's Got Drive podcast, the empowering show that puts black women in the driver's seat. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm so excited to be back. I started She's Got Drive podcast in 2017 because I wanted to capture the remarkable stories of black women and their success. I wanted to explore the challenges that they've overcome, the pivotal moments in their life where they've had to make some critical decisions about what's next for them. We, I look at the, we look at their personal life as well as their professional life and, and the women are from all walks of life. But what's common is that they are resilient and they're brilliant. And one of the things that I think is really inspiring to me is I think the She's Got Drive podcast really reminds us that our brilliance is actually our birthright. So if you want to know more about me, I am a CEO of my own organization, I, which is around consulting and coaching. I've been a coach and facilitator for over 30 years. And so the other thing that I bring in the podcast is I share with you some of the strategies that we can take on if we want to live a life that we truly want, rather than living the life that we think is our default life. So that's one of the things that I'm passionate about. So as a way of coming back, about two weeks ago now, um, on May 20th, I did a live relaunch of the She's Got Drive podcast at Recycled Modern in Hyde Park in Chicago. It was sponsored by Shari, who's the owner of Recycled Modern and Insolito and Tequila and Drinks Company. And we had a fantastic night. Um, so today's first episode is with Kim Lewis, who is a remarkable CEO of Curlmix and you're going to hear a lot about her. I mean, it's a fantastic interview and so I'm really excited for that to be the first um, interview that I'm coming back with after a long break since 2021. One of the key things that's different, of course, is like before I didn't do video, I was just doing audio and so you'll find this time we'll have a mix of audio and video this time around and we start with, with the video obviously because it's from the relaunch but there's a couple of other things I want to invite my listeners so the old and um, the OG listeners of the She's Got Drive podcast you know I'm so excited to be back in contact with you and this time I think one of the couple of things I'd like to to add to the show I'd love to hear your moments of drive your experiences the things that you are achieving in your own life and so we can share your stories on the She's Got Drive podcast. And the other thing is, I've, as I said, I've been in doing this work of coaching, supporting organizations and people. I've literally worked by now with thousands of people. And so I'm gonna have a segment in the show where you can literally ask me anything. And so if there's something that you, you wanna take on in your life, like how do you wanna accomplish something in your life? Where can you begin? something, a place where you'd be stuck with, a relationship dynamic that you want to um, look at, then I'm going to, there'll be an opportunity for you to write into me. We'll, we'll give you the email in the show notes and then, and then we'll take on a question, a couple of questions each show. But right now, I know you want to hear from Kim. Now, Kim is just extraordinary. You are going to absolutely love her as much as I love her loved being with her and interviewing her and so over to our time at Recycle I'm really excited about tonight and thank you so much. This is a relaunch of She's Got Drive 
um, that started in 2017 at the Apollo in New York. Yes, yes, um, at the Women of the World Festival. And um, and I posted for till September 2021. So I'm kind of old, old school podcaster. Uh, I've come back and everyone's like on video, doing all this thing with big mics, you know. With, <laughs> there was no audio before. And, and I got to September 2021 and I was like, I was cooked. I, I had, I was like, my creative juices had come to an end and I needed to take a break um, and, and figure out what I was gonna do with it. Um, and so um, self-care was one of the things, like really listening and paying attention. And so to be back and doing um, the podcast again as a host, because I love being a podcaster. I've loved the conversation She's Got Drive because She's Got Drive, why I started it was I wanted to have the stories of black women's success out there because we, we spend a lot of time talking about our struggles and what's wrong and what's hard for us as communities. And whilst that's all true and we need to have those conversations, I wanted to be, in, I wanted to be inspired every week, you know? And, um, and it doesn't mean that we don't have the women in their story sharing about that journey because it's not a straight journey to success, but what does it mean to be successful and then how do we get get there because our environment isn't always inviting that for us. So um, so that's why I created She's Got Drive and um, I'm excited about this evening. And thank you for Sherry for like allowing us to, to host this event. Thank you for, I got Amelia, who's my assistant. He's been working with me since 2016. Thank you to my husband and like, I know it's kind of like the Oscars, um, but, <laughs> um, and then to my guests, Kim and Leslie and Sherry for this evening. Um, one of the things that, Dr. Ryan is one of my favorite, most inspiring people in my life over the years. And one of the things that she has said is we delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but really admit the changes it has gone through to achieve that beauty. You know, so I kind of want to, in our conversation, Kim, as we share about yourself, I want us to, I mean, here you are, this beautiful person with this really beautiful life that you've created. And I want us to kind of, you to share like what's been that process. So that's like what I'm hoping to accomplish out of this time together, if that's cool with you. This sounds amazing, absolutely. And, and then there'll be an opportunity for, for we'll, put, we'll open it to the floor as well. So there'll be me and then there'll be, so you're like a fly on the wall and then you're gonna be invited in. Cool. Okay, great. So why don't you introduce yourself and say like who you, more about who you are and, and what you do. Hello everyone, I'm Kim, CEO and co-founder of Curl Mix, where we help you master your curls in 21 days. Our product is free via store credit. We're primarily sold online and we have a four-step hair care system to help you get this hairstyle. My ideal customer is a black woman over 40 who wants to wear her hair the same to her board meeting, to her kids' soccer games, to her date night. But we do work for pretty much all hair types. It, it's the wash and go, that curly wash and go look that you want to have, that is what people use our products for. We manufacture here on the south side of Chicago. So we have a 30,000 square foot manufacturing facility with 200 gallon kettles and pumping lines and warehouse and our chemist and lab in-house, things like that. Um, and we're launching into retail this fall. So we'll be, I can't say which one, but we'll be in 500 doors of 
a very big retailer. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. And not to like ruin the story, but we were on Shark Tank, Forbes 30, Oprah's Favorite Things, and a few other places as well. Right. Well, now that you've mentioned Shark Tank, people are going to want to know that story. Um, in 2018, mm -hmm. we were, um, my aunt told us that there was a casting call, and my baby was six months old. So we just took him to the audition with us. <laughs> and he's literally in the stroller, and we're pitching, and we're like, hi, we're Kim and Tim from the South Side of Chicago. We're high school sweethearts. Da, 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 da. And he literally starts crying in the middle of the pitch. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're never going to make it on the show. And then at the end of it, the producer is like, hmm, Kim and Tim, I like that. And we got a call back a couple weeks later, and we ended up going on the show maybe five months later. People don't know, but when you go on Shark Tank, it's like a part-time job. I mean, you are literally working with producers every week. You might rewrite your pitch seven to ten times. Wow. Um, and then they're cut to every round. And you have to do videos, and it's just a lot of work. In addition to still growing your business, and the metrics, as you, if you're growing really fast, your metrics and numbers change while you're doing it. So the things you think you memorize, they change. You have to memorize the new numbers. Right. Anyway, so we ended up um, getting on the show. And it's crazy because getting on Shark Tank is harder than getting into Harvard. Something like 40,000 people apply, and they only film a little over 100, and then only 80-something actually air. Wow. So I didn't know that at the time. I just remember like meeting people and then them like kind of disappearing. And I'm like, where'd they go? Where'd they go? And they're like, oh, they got cut. I'm like, oh my gosh. It was very scary. Um, but we actually, we pitched on the show. And Robert Herjavec offers us 20% um, equity stake for $400,000. And at the time, we were going to make a million that year. And so it was, a, it was a very, very low valuation considering all the work that we had already put in. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is 2018. I became an entrepreneur in 2013. I started Chromex in 2015, we pivoted in 2018. So 20% for $400,000 was not a lot to me. And you know, we turned the deal down because Robert would negotiate and he said he knew nothing about natural hair. And so I knew I needed somebody who, if that's the case, I could just go to a bank, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I needed somebody who knew the industry and so we ended up turning down the deal. One of the things that's the theme for you is, I think is like how you have mastered as an entrepreneur and as a, woman business owner, the conversation around money and finance and financing the business. And I think that's something that is huge for anyone running a business. But I, wanted, I really want to acknowledge you for that because, and this, is, and this is a critical part of that, like turning down 400K. Because some other people, how many of you would turn, turn down 400K? Because you're sitting there going, huh, 400K? How many would turn down? Like, there's many people who would who have actually sold their business for less on Shark Tank. Yeah. Shark being the operative word. Yeah. So, what is it about you and your relationship to yourself that allows you to, to turn that down? I am an obsessively curious person. I have questions and more questions and questions for those questions. And if you don't give me a good enough answer, I'm going to ask myself these questions and probably go home and research all the answers to them. And so before we went on Shark Tank, it was my goal to meet as many founders as I could who had been on the show. Um, I wanted to know, hey, the deal that you did with Mark Cuban, did it actually go through? Did he actually take the equity stake that he said he was gonna take? Did, um, like I, I talked to the Sugar Scrub girl, um, she has like one of those early episodes where she did like a crazy amount of revenue. And I think she agreed to give one of the sharks like dividends or something, like quarterly dividends. And I was like, I've met her mom at a Clavio conference. I was like, oh my God, were you on Shark Tank? She's like, yeah. And then I'm like, tell me everything. And then she's like, oh my God, I regret taking that deal so much. 
she was like, you know, our episode airs all the time, but like paying those quarterly checks to so-and-so knowing that I'm not even paying myself. Wow. It's just like, it was, she said, it makes me sick. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, I knew that whatever I did on the show, I wanted to be honest and true. Mm-hmm. And that I was going to have to go home with it because it was my real business and it was not for TV for me. Right, right. And you have to make the decision on the spot. So we made... Is that true or is that just... That's true. You do okay. have to make the decision on the spot. But Timothy and I had just negotiated with ourselves the night before because we had had a difficult conversation with the producers about our valuation. And I was like, okay, we need um, a BATNA. Um, and if you go to MBA school, it's a better alternative to negotiating an agreement. BATNA. And it was like, okay, what's our alternative if we don't get a deal? What's our hard and fast numbers? We're not going to go above this. And then now we can negotiate because there's wiggle room. Um, and then the funny thing about the numbers on Shark Tank, like you, they have hard, like they need even or around about even numbers to negotiate with. So you can't go in there asking for like 1.2%. You know what I mean? Like they're like, no, it's either five or 10 or 15. Because the, the consumer at home needs to be able to Doesn't do the math. Right. Yeah, they need to be able to do the math. And then the dollar amount can't go down but it can go up. So like just really random, like arbitrary, you know what I mean? Like this doesn't seem, this is not how real business negotiations go. You know, I'm like, oh, you care about making good TV. I was like, when I knew that, I was like, all right, I get it now. All right, so this is not even, this is not even personal. It's like, what am I willing to say yes to? What am I not? And then I'm gonna stick to that. Great, great. So, um, and how are you doing now? Let's say where you are now as a business. so last year we did about 10 million in revenue. Woo! Thank you. Yes. Uh, all online. Um, and this Amazing. year we're hoping to do a lot more and do it profitably. So I am a venture back company. I like to say that because sometimes if you're an entrepreneur out there, you're watching this, you're like, oh my gosh, she's doing 10 million. How on earth is she doing that? I raised money from investors. Mm-hmm. So after the show, I ended up getting, um, I'm, Arlen from Backstage Capital invested 25000 She's our Arlen first money so in. Much. And it was before the show. She believed in us like we were doing Arlen. the do-it-yourself box, like our early version of Chromex. If you don't know Arlen Hamilton, you, you, I mean, it's about damn time. It's her book. Yes. Just follow her on. She has, she's such a genuine person and beautiful heart. She's just, I love her. She's my shero. Um, she wrote up the 25K check in 20... 18 so her check helped us get to that first million dollars and then we went on shark tank um and then after we appeared on the show we got a call from jeff weiner the former ceo of linkedin um, and his partner and they put in 1.2 million dollars um, wow. at a 12 million dollar valuation compared to robert herjavik's two million dollar valuation on the same revenue right which is like oh my gosh okay so they really were trying to play you you know um and so we that money helped us get to about five million in revenue and then we introduced like our four-step system and we just started growing the business online and then we rebranded did the 10 million and i'm just closed i can't announce it yet but like a small portion of my next round um okay so i'm excited about that and just helping to grow the business and then we also equity crowdfunded so after i got to about five million in revenue and i went out to talk to vcs about investing more many of them were like i want to see more and any startup who five X's in a year is like phenomenal. Like that's great. But for me, it was it wasn't enough when I did it. And this is before George Floyd. This is before there was tons of money like, you know, pumped into yeah. VC. The fifteen percent pledge, all of this. It was like your your five X is not enough. And I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm just gonna focus on getting profitable. Next year we did six million, and then when I went back out to VC, they were like, oh, but you're flat. And I was like, because you didn't grow, you went from five million to six million, and you're flat. And I was like. 
are you freaking kidding me? And I was like, you know what, forget it. I'm gonna raise my own investment for my community. And so we have one of the largest beauty equity crowdfunds ever. Uh, we raised $4.5 million from about 7,000 customers. And they own um, 15 to 20% of the business. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I thought one of the things that, um, is that, is that, is that working? Okay, great. Um, that I ask my, always ask my guests on She's Got Drive is like, how do you define success? Because it sounds like phenomenal. Because it is phenomenal accomplishments, right? Thank you. And so how do you define success? And like, are you there yet? <laughs> um, the goal post, the goal post, not coast, my bad y'all. The goal post, <laughs> the goal post keeps moving. But what I will say is that um, success to me is freedom in every sense of the word. So freedom of time, freedom of thought, freedom of um, money, freedom of freedom from control. Um, and I actually remember Alex Ramboli saying this, like the more control you have, the less freedom you have. The more freedom you have, the less control you have. And in order to get the freedom that I desire, I have to relinquish all my control, but I'm not in a position to do that yet. So um, I don't think that I've achieved the success that, that's success in my mind, which okay. is freedom. Um, I think I'll be there in a few years, but right now I'm still in control. <laughs> And if you look back, if you look back a few years back, um, how how was would you have defined success at that point in 2018? Say. Oh my gosh! You know, I found a journal where I had written in like 2017. My goal was to make like two million dollars mm -hmm. so that I could like live in Thailand and like <laughs> like work from my laptop on a beach and like that was the goal, like to travel the world, live a nomadic lifestyle, mm -hmm. and like. So this, you know, eight-figure business, staff of 30, venture back, raising $10 million, I, this was not on my list. Mm -hmm. um, it has evolved and I have evolved with it, but I'm also um, a gamer and a competitor at heart, so it's fun for me, I enjoy it. Um, but it is definitely not what I had imagined for myself. I'll say that. And so where does that come from? If you think about your family background, where does that drive and the motivation come from? It Go takes ahead. something to achieve what you're achieving. You know, most people's success is fueled by their trauma. So if you feel like you haven't succeeded a whole lot in life, you probably had a happy childhood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was reading a stat that said something like 60% of the presidents, 60-some percent of the presidents have daddy issues. Like, daddy wasn't around or like daddy was, and you know, mine wasn't either. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean my dad. I was like 13. I'm laughing. I, I had a great childhood. Like I grew up with my grandparents and my mom and tons of cousins and grandkids around me. Um, and I met my husband at 16 in high school. Like I had a great childhood. Um, but I will say that I think I always had a chip on my shoulder, needing to like prove myself, like proving my worthiness. And I didn't know that then. I just saw it as like, oh, she loves to read, she loves to learn. And I saw my mother who worked incredibly hard. She worked like two jobs, like hard labor jobs. She's a late towel for a living. Then she drove the bus at one point. Then she worked in the army and the Navy. Like she just has been, had hard jobs her whole life. Um, coupled with my need to prove myself yeah. and like make it out, right? Cause that's silly, you know, making it out. Like I still live in what some people would call the hood, you know, because um, I realized there's no making it, like I wanted to live there. There's no making it out, it's just a mindset. But anyway, um, I think my absent father and my hardworking mother gave me unimaginable grit 
and tenacity to just be like, I can figure it out. That nothing's gonna break me. Hmm. Sorry, was that too deep? No, I feel like it was, everybody was like, "Dang, your trauma is fueling your success." <laughs> You're not successful. You don't have no trauma in your life. That's not what. That is not the message. You don't have to have trauma in order to be successful. You don't. You really you don't. don't. Have to look you don't. For it anyway. You don't. Um, but I think what you're, what I think is so wonderful about what you're sharing is like, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to have the trauma, like give you the life that you. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to have it limit your life. Um, so you talked about your mom. I have one of the other questions I always ask my guests is, is what mama used to say. You know, um, there's so many things that stay with us from elder women in our lives and um, our moms. Um, shout out to my mom who's long past, but but um, so what is there something that you've got from your mom, like some sayings, some wisdom that drives you, that guides you? Well, that's tough. Do I have some? Wisdom that my mom that my mom has. Oh, your me grandmother. My grandmother, yes. yes. So she used to always say, "Yeah, my mom." Because my mom is not like uh, a woman of many words. You know what I mean? Yeah. She has looks. You know, <laughs> she don't want a word. She's got looks. My grandmother would There's always. There's words say, in those looks. <laughs> yeah. Right, they're full stories in those yeah. looks. My grandmother used to say, um, "And this too shall pass." So that was something she would say all the time. So if you were ever wallowing or felt really down or hurt or sad. Um, she just wanted you to know that whatever you were feeling was just a moment. Mm -hmm. And um, it's something that literally, like, it echoes in my head whenever things get really, really hard. Mm -hmm. I try to imagine the version of me that's on the other side of the problem. Because the, the side of me, the, the person that is on the other side of the problem, either is looking back and laughing, like, girl, you got this. Yeah. Or it's like, girl, you know, you, you get through it. It's okay, you pass through it. Or, you know, it's okay to cry. Like, the person on, on the other side of the issue is so much better than the person who feels like they're sitting in it. And so that quote in this two shall pass is always kind of, um, it is healing for me. Yeah. That is beautiful, actually. Thank you. Because I thank my you grandmother. Never, yeah, thank, thank you, grandma. Because you, it's, when you're so in it, in the moment of the struggle, to then like imagine yourself beyond, and that allows you to get through the struggle, to be in it until you get out. Because we, you know, that's beautiful. Thank you. That's a tweeble. Um, what's the most courageous moment in your, that you've had in your life so far? Courage. Um, and that's for me, like, courage for me is not the absence of fear. Courage for me is the presence of fear and still taking an action. Mm. I would say, without giving a whole bunch of detail, I just um, closed a round of funding, right? But it took five or six months, and normally funding takes like three months. And so in that, I had a lot of mispayments or late payroll or just like really difficult things that I've luckily made it through my career without having to deal with. Right. Even when we crowdfunded, you know, I didn't have to deal with some of those things. And so having to deal with that in the delay of this process means I had to have I had to be the fall guy for everything bad in that. You know what I mean? Because everyone hates Kim if something's wrong. You know, right. it's they don't. People don't see that there's like a ton of other roles at play here. That me not having the money is not purely just Kim not being good enough. It's like there's 
just tons of other factors. Um, and I had to be courageous enough to get in front of everybody and say, hey, we don't have it. Um, or hey, you know, I made this mistake. Or um, here's how I would have done it differently. Or maybe I was too optimistic. Um, and I know that I'm afraid because I'll have like, when I speak now, I don't get like jitters or like my heart doesn't like go really fast. But like, if I know I have to have a hard conversation where I have to fire someone or apologize for something that I knew that I did that was wrong or just give really bad news, then I'll have fear. But you have to do it anyway. You can't not do it. Who's gonna deliver it? Like who's, who else is gonna do it if not you? You know what I mean? You're the boss or the leader. Uh, leaders go first. And that has been my biggest lesson um, as a CEO, as a founder, as someone who's had to overcome fear or be afraid and do it anyway, is that you have to go first. And then in that moment, how do you manage the emotional reaction that comes back? You know I had a tough mother. So it's like, buck up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that is, that's my inner voice. I know, I wish it was sweeter, but it is not, okay? Um, no, I actually, I'll probably talk it out with um, Tim or one of my best friends or my chief of staff who was his godmother or aunt, aunt but she's like my mother too yeah. um usually if i can like talk through it with someone else or even practice what i'm going to say before i say it a lot of times we wait for um big speaking events or um, presentations to practice what we're going to say yeah. but if you're going to have a hard conversation you can also practice what you're going to say you can start with something nice and then how am i going to layer in the difficult part and how am i going to still make not make them feel like they're worthless at the end of this conversation. Am I gonna soften my tone here? Am I gonna use this word or that word? Like I literally practice the hard conversations too. It sounds like you the the um that you're really paying attention to taking care of them. That's my job. <laughs> that the as the leader, that is that is your job to take care of everyone who gets on your ship. Listen, I what I didn't say at the beginning is that I'm the CEO and founder of Shirley McAlpine and Associates, which is a consulting organization. So I do leadership development, executive coaching, and have done that for over 30 years. And I wish every leader really understood that they lead because of the people, not in, not in spite of them. You know, sometimes people don't really relate to what their real job is you know they're not leading widgets exactly very true very you true. know so and you know but i think some people do that they feel like and i'm not saying i don't do this i don't think i do this but i think some people detach themselves from the people so they can do the work because sometimes i think too if you have to consider how everyone's going to perceive this particular thing you'll never some people get analysis paralysis and they'll never move right they'll be like well this person feels this way and this person feels that way and, nah, 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 and this person's gonna feel this way and, and so then they're like ah and they just kind of freeze and some people are like well i don't want to hear what anyone has to say so that i can still do what i'm doing and there's somewhere in the middle of like okay i hear what they're saying but we need to do this in order to move forward and no one's happy if no one has a job so you know i can't serve everybody we got to do we got to meet somewhere in the middle and i think that's where like really good leadership lives mm -hmm. can i switch it up to like around care for self i'm wondering about because like i imagine there's lots of pressure on often 30 30 staff production deadlines things go right things go wrong money payroll 
So in those moments of stress, what do you rely on? To, and is self-care a superpower for you or is it really like an area of like your learning edge? Um, sorry, it's a deep sigh. <laughs> I'm learning. Uh, it's, I don't think self-care is something I'm particularly great at. And I say this because I'm just coming out of having two kids. My kids are three and five. Um, we have a staff of 30. I've been married for the last 10 years. And um, we have parents who need help. And so myself is not always the first thing on my mind. Um, and so lately I started to care less about work because I wasn't living the life that I thought I wanted. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then I'm realizing, oh, if I'm not happy, ain't nobody got a job. Like, if I'm not here, you know, everybody else is going to be in a much worse position. So I was like, okay, what do I need to do? And I think I started realizing this maybe in the last year and a half. I was like, I need a little bit more novelty in my life, which means I need to travel. That, that journal that entry that I wrote down where I wanted to be able to travel, like I can't really live that life right now, but I can take a couple international trips a year. I can continue mastering French. I can continue, um, I can do girls trips. I don't have to take my kids and my family everywhere we go, you know? Um, so giving myself permission to abandon some of these ideas that I had about what was the good thing or the right thing to do. Great. Well, let's open it up to the people out here, the guests. Thank you. Anyone have a question that you want to ask? Kim. Everyone looks like art. You guys are so yeah, beautiful. It's so That's really, it looks like you're posing for a photo. It's like, it's, it's got the flat yeah, rows and the tall row on the back. From this side. Anyone have a question? Yes. If you could give any advice to a budding entrepreneur in the beauty space, <laughs> what would you tell them? I was literally just telling someone, everything, every timeline that I've had, it's taken probably twice as long as I expected. So if I thought I was gonna make my first million dollars in the first two years, it took three to four. You know, If I thought I was gonna make $10 million in my first four years, it took five to seven. Like it just, it just took longer to do everything. I'm usually not like a manifester. Like I'm not as woo woo, just because of my mother. But I believe it now. <laughs> Because I have said some things, I'm like, oh my goodness, like that that really, ha I didn't, I don't know what I did to make that happen. So I really do believe like if you say it, it can happen. I mean, it's funny how you say that you're not manifest because you've manifested so much. Do you know what I mean from, mm -hmm. like really? <laughs> Thank you, Shirley. You know, so um, any other questions? Yeah, Shari. So she, her question was, what's next for Chromex? One of the things that we strategically did was we stayed online the entire time of our journey. We could have been in a Walmart or a Target, prematurely of course, because our packaging wasn't where it needed to be, our branding wasn't where it needed to be, our funding wasn't where it needed to be. But everyone tells you going into stores is like the dream. And I had some really amazing advisors who was like, no Kim, I've seen it bankrupt several of the businesses that I've advised, don't do it yet, you're not ready. And it's really hard to hear your coach tell you you're not ready for something that you think you're ready for. So I had to tell the retailers no. They come back every year, no we're not ready, no we're not, no we're not, no. And, she, and what she did in the meantime was taught me about branding. She taught me how to fix the brand, how to make it better, how to clear up your messaging, how to do all these different things. So by the time that like I was ready, you know, I could pretty much walk into the retailer and tell them what I want. So when the retailer that we're going into, we sat down for our buyer meeting in January and they were like, so how many stores do you want? I was like, wait, what? I thought you had to like do a little bit online, then do a few stores, then roll out to all of them. 
She said, no, you can have them all. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and it was because we took five years to fix the brand and build the brand properly right. instead of rushing straight into stores so that when I did show up, we had more leverage and we could be like, we want, you know, just give us 500. Okay, we want these end caps. We want these this positioning. We want to be next to this brand. We want this many emails to go out and we want this many, like, you know, gondola, whatever, you know, and I, and it's such a lesson in patience, right? But what was next? So retail for us is next. We've been online this entire time and now it's time to enjoy the fruits of our labor. Mm -hmm. um, but it's difficult though. Staying online meant we were less profitable or not profitable. You know what I mean? Right. If we had gone into retail, we might have been more profitable. Um, so but that's what's next for us. Oh, you know, one of the my favorite things about being an entrepreneur and CEO is the personal development that comes, whether you want it or not, um, because you have people around you giving you feedback on their experience with you. So you have to listen because it's an objective one versus how you see yourself in your head sometimes. And I was talking to a personality psychologist, and I was telling her that I work with a lot of family and friends, and people tell you not to work with your family and friends all the time. And I was like, I feel like it's been working for me, you know, like they've been with me for years, like what you think about this? And then she started telling me that like, Kim, you're incredibly charismatic, but those people are not blinded by your charisma. So they will tell you if you have a dumb idea. They will tell you if they don't like something that you're doing. But if you met someone who was new, who just was like, oh my God, Kim's so amazing, they will be a yes man and say whatever it is that you want. And so she was like, I meet, and this lady was coaching like the uh, CEO of LinkedIn, I mean, um, Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, the Jeff Bezos of the world, like she's coaching lots of different people. And she's like, you have that um, alpha personality that people are afraid to correct you or give you real feedback. And so you working with your friends and family has been a bonus for you because it's like you get to actually work on the work and it, people are just not blinded by who you are. Um, and so I think I've taken, I've learned from that. I've become more conscious of the yes men in my life and maybe not, some people will let that stroke their ego, you know? They'll like, this feels good to know that this person thinks I'm special and to have their attention and they hang on my every word. And I try not to get too close to people like that because I want, because I realize that's damaging for them too. You know what I mean? Um, so I'll just keep a healthy distance. I don't like remove any relationships, but you know what I mean? And that has helped me as a person in my personal development. If that's clear. Is that clear? Yeah, that's actually my answer. Thank you. I have What I've learned from my customers, I have learned that it is so important to have a position in our industry. You know, everyone talks about how it's like saturated, right? Like the curly hair industry is so saturated. But the truth is curly hair is like skincare, right? There are like 20,000 skincare brands, right? There might be like a thousand natural hair care brands, right? Um, but everyone is like natural and organic. That's the same, that, that's not a position. Or it would have been maybe 10 years ago, right? Shea Moisture already had it, okay? Uh, that would have been the position. Um, people don't realize that the position is the battle for your mind. What ownership in your consumer's mind, what word do they associate you with? And I think what we've done is focus on the wash and go. 
we and and associate with a hairstyle, a look, a transformation versus just being like, you know, it's natural and organic, it's for everybody, go ahead and try it, you know? Um, and so I've learned, I found who was using our flaxseed gel. I was like, okay, it's kind of Diva Curl adjacent, but Diva Curl not really servicing like black women that strong. Okay, then how, what, how do they look when they use this hairstyle? Oh, they have this like wash and go look. Okay, well how can I cater my brand to serve this specific person? What is she wearing her hair to? Why does she need to look this way all the time? How old is she? And so I've just learned that my customer, then the more you niche down, the more clear your position becomes in the market and the more stickiness you have. Um, and then eventually you can go broad, right? But you wanna start niching down your position and then go broad. So that's my recommendation. That's what I learned from my customers. You had a question. Yeah, Suzanne. Uh, you mentioned a business coach. So is this someone that you have had from the very beginning? Was it a, just an intentional thing to do to have someone you know, sort of consulting yeah, so my business coach, I met her. It's so funny. She started, um, she was in the hair space for a while. She had like a big like um, community that she had built with hundreds of thousands of followers. But she was always working for in, the, in corporate. Um, so that was her side hustle, building her hundreds of thousands of follower community, influencers, working with huge brands, but also maintaining her day job in corporate. And I was at a conference, Black Women Talk Tech, and I was just raising my like million dollar seat round. I think we were on Shark Tank. Were we on Shark Tank yet? I think we were on Shark Tank. And like I had so many questions for everybody. I was like, you been on Shark Tank, you been on Shark Tank. I was like, you raise money, you raise money. And I'm asking like really like how much equity should I give my advisor to like a crowd of a thousand people? Like I don't know. Like she, you know, you clearly see that I have questions and no answers. And she's in like the front row and then like she comes over to me after. She's like, hey Kim, like I think I can help you. Like. I think I have some answers because she had advised other brands that were bigger than me. And she's like, I do a little bit of executive coaching on the side. Um, and I think I could really help you figure out how to get to the next level. And so really, I feel like if you want to find an executive coach mentorship, half the battle is showing up. And then the other half is asking, being inquisitive and curious and letting people see your eagerness. Not being afraid to look stupid in front of a thousand people asking a question that you think maybe some people know the answer to and you feel silly for not. Tim, <laughs> and he worked for love. <laughs> he got no money. <laughs> no, um, th th Tim was. I feel like if you're gonna start a business, you really need someone who's gonna work for free for you because they love you. Like, because <laughs> exactly, he's somebody who's gonna show up for you because they love you because. It's, it's very hard to do on your own. And then after that, my best friend, she would help a lot. And then all my friends and family would like pitch in for like $10 an hour. But my first official employee who was not family was customer service. I realized I was spending too, minute, too much time responding to emails and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to get somebody else to do this. And then she ended up being like, uh, my, like technically like my first employee. Great. What I thought that turning down Shark Tank in the moment that they were not going to air our episode and that I was stupid for saying no to Robert. Um, and I thought, because they, and, and I was just like, okay, well, I got, I, like, literally we walked off set and I was like, dang, we're not going to air. And I was like, well, we came all this way. And then when I walked out, 
all the black people who worked on set came out and circled us, like 10 people, and gave us a round of applause. And I was like, what? I was like, we didn't get the deal. And they were like, you just did so amazing. Oh my God, we're so proud of you. People don't be knowing their number. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, maybe it will air. I don't know. And then, so I was honestly shocked when we got the call. Because you don't know, even after you shoot, they don't call you for months. Like, you don't know if your episode's actually going to air. And you found out like two weeks before. So it's kind of crazy. So that was definitely a time where I thought that we had failed. And it ended up being um, a really good thing for us. Um, there were other times I was trying to raise money alongside our crowdfund. So, oh, that's another one. Like, we crowdfunded. When we started crowdfunding the money, we needed the money when I started the crowdfund. So we were already, like, out of money. So I had to go and, like, I didn't know that we were going to be able to successfully raise millions of dollars from my community. I thought, you know, the most I had known people had raised was like a million bucks. And they weren't black, they weren't women, they weren't product-based companies, they were like sexy tech companies, you know? Um, yeah, and so I thought, you know, by running out of money, that's like also a failure. But raising 4.5 million for my community ended up being a huge success. But it was never something I could have predicted. I had to pretend like failing was not an option, you know? And then approach it from there. And that same coach advised me on it. She's like, okay, if you're gonna raise five million, that means you need 1,000 people to give you you know, five, you know, 5,000 and 2,000 people to give you, and she broke it down. She's like, you need to treat this like a political campaign, okay? And then how many votes? It was just funny. It was like such a lesson in like how do we, let's work backwards. Don't be afraid right. of the number. How can we like work backwards and get there? But another time that I thought failing, running out of money actually turned into a really big success for us. The, the fact that your community that you raised that money in your community. I really want to like underline, neon lie, because it's just wild. <laughs> no, seriously. Your community raised $4.5 million. And that's like how they, you know, like when you've got loyal customers, loyal community, that's like they believe in you, they trust you, they love you, they care for you, that they're going to say, we're for you. And we're not talking about five ninety nine at the local. <laughs> do you get me? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. the really, the, it's really testament to what you have built together, like and and who you are, and that the level of trust that you have in relationship. And you speak about people, you care about people, and that and they experience that. I think that's what's that's what I I'm asserting. <laughs> Thank you. Did you have? And then we're gonna. A background, of, that is such a high compliment. You know, when I was in college, I had a black professor, she's a marketing professor. She just, you know, she would be dressed to the, the nine, okay? She would have like the red bottoms, so and she would just kind of walk in and like, hello everyone, like da da da. And you know, I'm like, black girl from the south side of Chicago, tomboy, I was fast talker. And I remember her calling me into her office one time. She's like, Kim, come here, have a seat. She's like, you know, I, you're a little rough around the edges, but I love you so much. <laughs> She's like, you talk really fast. And you know, you know, you're gonna grow out of that though. And so I just remember her like letting me know that I was not good at public speaking. So when you said that I am, it, um, it's just a lot of practice, but it, it makes me feel good, so I appreciate that. Um, the courage to crowdfund. I had a friend, her name was Max. She's the first Latin American woman to raise a million dollars in equity crowdfunding. And she had an app called Caribou that she later sold to Mintel, the gaming company. 
Um, and it, the app would allow you to read online with your kids while you're away. So like you can like open up a book and read with their three-year-old. It's for people who are travel a lot or in the army, things like that. And I remember her um, doing a clubhouse during the pandemic. And it was about equity crowdfunding. And I just kind of hopped in there and I listened to the different platforms. There's WeFunder, there's Start Engine, they're all duking it out, who's the best one. And I remember you know, Max telling me how she raised it. And I was like, huh, I have 100,000 customers. I was like, if I could get you know, this percentage of them to do it, and you just need the first like momentum, right? You need, you know, so I'm like, where am I gonna get the most momentum from? Okay, if I can get a couple big checks from like really important people to jump in first. So like the, um, like, and I'm, I have different communities, I have different networks. I'm a part of this mastermind over here. Um, I'm a part of um, like my different networks, my high school community, my VC community, my entrepreneur community. I was like, okay, I have all these different communities. How many people I can get from there? I like, I literally, I don't think about whether or not I should do the problem. I start solving the problem, you know? Because if you think about it, if you should do it, you'll never do it. Because you can talk yourself out of anything, you know? So if I can't get to it on paper, then I won't do it. But if I can get to it on paper, I'm like, this is an option. <laughs> and then, of course, I shopped it around. My executive coach did not like the idea. She's like, it's not a question of if you can do it, Kim. It's a question of should you do it. And I was like, ah, okay. Because essentially, if you have someone writing you a check for the same amount of money in half the time, you should take that check because you don't, it's no guarantee that you'll raise the money. Um, you still have to, I had to file a 90-page document with the SEC. And I had to do an annual report in my business and do an audit. So of a manufacturing facility. And if you're doing an audit of cost of goods sold on individual units of product, oh my God. Like, and you're a small business, so you're, you're, you barely in gap financials. If I'm confusing anybody out here, this is like, you know, I'm like, yeah. I'm like this is lots of leaps to get to this crowdfunding. But the other thing is that like, I feel like I didn't have many choices either because VC wasn't really readily accessible. Um, particularly because I think it's gatekept, right? Like, well, only it's like, it's something like ninety-seven percent of VC funding goes to white men. Exactly. So then, only three percent, two point eight percent is to white women, and then that leaves the rest for women of color. Less than one percent, like less than half a percent or something. 0. Yeah, it's like zero point six. And 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 VC funding dropped from ten billion a quarter to less than four billion a quarter. Right. And that was before the Silicon Valley Bank fallout, the Credit Suisse, the yeah, so it might even be like less than a billion after this quarter. Who knows? So, but it wasn't that bad at the time. And, you know, and so I just felt like I got tired of hearing no when I knew that I had built something of value because my customers vote with their dollars, you know? So I've got some, I know we, this has just been phenomenal. I've got this like some step, well, I call my STEM questions to end, if you like. Um, if I start the sentence and you end the sentence. Okay. Something most people don't know about me is. Je parle français. J'étudie français. Oui, j'étudie français précisément en Paris. Okay. I speak French, but not fluently. I need to practice. Okay. And I would like to be fluent. Okay. Merci. D'accord. As a child, I was. Bossy. <laughs> <laughs> One of my superpowers is? People. The adventure I want to go on one day is? A flight to space. Kim, thank you so much. Thank this you. so beautiful. Thank you so much. Everyone give Shirley again. a round of applause.
So thank you for joining us on the She's Got Drug podcast. If you found it valuable, if you loved the interview, it would mean the world to me if you would like, rate and review the show over at iTunes because that's what we need in order to grow the show and to start to expand our reach and to include more women in this empowering and inspiring conversation. So you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere where you're, whatever your favourite platform is for listening to a podcast episode. Please subscribe so that you can get the into your inbox on your phone immediately. And then the other thing I love you to do is just share the show with someone in your life. Like think about someone in your life you think, you know what? I know that person, that was my bestie and they will love it, so share the show. So She's Got Drive podcast is produced by Cassandra Portalina and shout out to Cassandra because she's been with me from the beginning. So that's been awesome. And then you might have noticed if you're an OG um, She's Got Drive listener that we have a new song and it's th- this song is called Back To Me and it's performed by Satoria Key. You can download that song. The link is in the show notes. So you can buy that that tune from Satoria. So support Satoria. Download the tune. You can go to the link in our on the She's Got Drive uh, website, and there'll be a link there that takes you to some of the place where you can buy the buy the download track. Back to me, which is so until next time keep on empowering each other keep on empowering yourself and being on this incredible journey and keep driving